Now, I don't think I say anything that's revelatory or surprising, but it's always a good thing to follow God, isn't it? It's always a good thing to follow God. Everything he says is true. So if you follow God, you're following the truth. Everything he commands is good. So if we follow his commands, we'll end up at a good place. And everything he asks of us is achievable. There's an old saying where God guides, he provides. So if God asks you to do something, it's achievable. But the truth of the matter is it isn't always easy to do what God asks us to do, even though we know it's true, even though we know it's good, even though we know it's achievable. I'm sure you wouldn't have to spend much time or much energy to think about some things that you know you should do. You know you should do them, but inside your heart right now, you have stubbornly refused to do them. You won't do them. Again, you know that God wants you to do them. You know that it's true that you should do them. You know that it's good you should do them. You know that it's achievable that you can do it. But you don't because you perceive it to be too hard. Maybe it's a hard choice or a hard sacrifice or a hard conversation or a hard commitment or a hard generous act or a hard change to make in what you do. Whatever it is, there are certain things that are hard to change. They're difficult. But you know God wants you to do. So what do you do when God wants you to do it, but it's hard to do it? Tonight I want to talk about that chasm, and that's called doing the difficult for God. Doing the difficult for God. Take out your Lakeshore notes, because Jonah was faced with an incredibly difficult task to obey God when he didn't want to. And tonight we're going to look at it. Jonah gets jammed unfairly sometime. We say, oh, Jonah was so disobedient. But the truth of the matter is, everything in the Old Testament and the New was taught for our own instruction. The reason why Jonah was disobedient and why God reported that story is because all of us, in some areas of our life, are also disobedient. And also, in that same area of life, do not want to change. But we have to dare to do the difficult thing for God. And that's what we're going to look at. So with your notes open, let's review the book chart. Flip over to the back of your notes and let's get up our book chart. Remember, Jonah's four-chapter book, it has two stories. So in chapter one and two, we see Jonah fights God's mission. He's called to preach. He runs away and is thrown into the sea, starts off in God's presence, and then he ends up with sailors on a boat. He's fleeing from God. And last time we saw how God saved him, he was swallowed by a big fish. He prays inside that fish. He gives that psalm of praise and prayer to God, and he's vomited onto land. He spends the time in all of chapter 2 in the belly of a great fish praying to God. That's the first cycle. Jonah has two, four chapters, two story cycles. In chapter 3 and 4, we're in chapter 3 tonight, we see how Jonah fulfills God's mission. He's called to go preach, exact same thing, the exact same formula that God gave Jonah at the beginning of chapter 1. This time he preaches to Nineveh, and tonight we're going to see how he sees Nineveh repent. He tours the city of Nineveh, and he proclaims for God. Let's go to the next slide. I want to thank Pastor Frank for helping me out with these slides. Uh, did we have a map there? 
Was there a map that was next? Or Oh, beautiful. What a team. And remember how Jonah was from Gath. And by the way, this map is on the back now. So if you ever want to, you know, if you want to do some research, we won't put it on the back next time, but for this time, we'll do that so that you can have this map. Remember he was born in Gath Heifer. We saw that from the king, first or second kings, I can't remember. Uh, Jerusalem's capital city for point of perspective. He fled from, we don't know where he fled from God. He got at the port of Joppa and he flew, actually went to Spain. And I pointed that out because all of that was an exact opposite. Now, he's going to go not on the flight, but on the mission all the way up to the north and to the east to Nineveh, the capital city of the emerging world empire of Assyria. Syria. Okay, thank you, team. Great job, as always. So tonight, I want to talk about God's difficulty. Absolutely nothing. Now I know why the map wasn't there, because I jumped ahead. <laughs> thank you. Gracious. Not only a great team, a gracious team. They, they work with my flub-ups as if they're, um, they're not screw-ups. Tonight, I'm going to look at God's difficulty, Jonah's difficulty, the Ninevites' difficulty, and then by application, our own. So let's look at God's difficulty. What's God's difficulty? Well, absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. In verse 10, look at uh, the last verse of chapter 2, just a little bit of review. It says there, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. God miraculously rescued Jonah from the great fish. Again, it may not have been a whale. It may have been a whale. Could have been a sperm whale. Could have been... Some other species, we don't know about it. We talked, by the way, last time, if you miss it, about the apologetics, the biblical apologetics. Apologetics doesn't mean that we apologize for the Bible. It means that we defend and explain it carefully. The apologetics for the validity of the Jonah story being true, just as is reported, not some myth. We talked about that last time. Very important, not only for this chapter, but for your Christian faith. And God miraculously not only rescued Jonah from the fish, he delivered him on a dry land. Notice how the great fish, unlike Jonah, responded to God immediately, immediately and obeyed him. Remember what Jesus said uh, on Palm Sunday, a week before his crucifixion, people praised him and worshipped him and put palm branches down. That's why we call it Palm Sunday, the, the Sunday before Easter. And people, uh, the religious leader says, tell people to shut up. And Jesus says, listen, if I were to tell them to be quiet, the very rocks would praise me and cry out. It's like, this is the Old Testament equivalent. If, if Jonah won't speak for me, I'll get a, a, a sperm whale or, or a great fish to obey me. And it's a contrast. We're going to see tonight another contrast, the obedience of the Ninevites. And we'll, we'll see that. But God can make anything obey him, and he wants us to obey him. But here's the thing. God wants us to obey him freely, willingly. As we're going to see, Jonah is now ready to obey God. He's ready to do the difficult thing for him. Nothing's too difficult for God, even to get his prophet to do what he has to do. Notice God didn't force Jonah, but God circumstanced Jonah into it. And that's what God will do. He won't force you into it, but he will circumstance you in it. He knows the circumstances. He knows everything that they'll do, and he'll custom-tailor circumstance to circumstance you in it. But isn't it better when we obey without being circumstanced into it. I know I made a verb out of a noun, but you get my idea. Now, let's look at Jonah's difficulty in uh, verses 1 to 4 of chapter 3. His difficulty is announcing to Nineveh. 
Remember that Nineveh was a growing, powerful, major threat to Israel. Could you imagine if God said, go to Iran and preach? Not many of you would be, you know, looking at, you know, travelocity.com. Let's see, Rochester to Tehran. It wouldn't be something that you'd want to do. You, just, you want to just, blow, you know, blow them up, blow up their nuclear factory or whatever they're doing over there. They not only were powerful, but they were evil. Evil. Just one account, and I could share many of them. When the Ninevites conquered any people group, a village, a community, any people group, they had a pattern that was intended to send a message. Here's how it would go. First, when they got their victims, the ones that were not killed in battle, they wished they were because they were tortured. They would often torture the people they conquered. Not only would they torture them, after the end of their torture, they would often skin them alive. Skin them alive, if you can imagine that agony. And then they would collect the skulls of all their victims and build them up into piles. And there was renown about this. And of course, their goal, if you do not submit to us, when we come to war for you, you may be tortured, you may be skinned alive, we may have your skull in our pile. All to give the impression, you better not fight us. I mean, they were Hitler-like. Evil. So into this cultural milieu, Jonah does the difficult. It's vital that you appreciate how hard it was for Jonah to do this. This was not easy. Maybe a way to think of the person you can't stand the most. And God says, go, tell them they need Jesus, tell them that you love them, tell them that... How many like to sign up for that? I don't think too many of us. I mean, I think of faces. I think of a wicked, evil, rotten, evil relative who treated my grandmother in her last days horrifically. Like to, I'd like to strangle a tar out of her, in Jesus' name, of course. <laughs> and of course, I wouldn't do that. But imagine if I just said, go to her house, tell her you love her, tell her God loves her, present. And I, and I, would, I think I would present the plan of salvation. Then as soon as she said no, I'd say, thank you. But if she ever said yes. But that's what it was like. I'm trying to create a real picture. We, we put down Jonah. We blast Jonah. We, we make fun of Jonah. We don't understand how hard it was for him, how hard it would be for you, how hard it is for you. It's difficult. Now, how do we respond to the clear commands of God? Let me give you some principles here. In, chap, in verses, uh, chap, uh, verses 1 to 3a, Here's the first way. Regardless of how we may feel inside, we must trust and obey God's commands. Doesn't matter how you feel, trust and obey the commands of God. Look at verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, just like 1-1. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Again, great because it was large. It was a large city. Remember, Nineveh was the capital city of the empire of Assyria. And it was great not only because it was large... It was great because it was powerful. The great city of Nineveh and proclaimed to it the message I give you, which he's going to explain a little bit later. 
Chapter 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Jonah felt the consequences of his disobedience. But now, after this encounter with the great fish, he trusts and obeys God, even if he doesn't feel like it. Trust and obey. There is no other way, the hymn tells us, to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Trust and obey. Sometimes, instead of acting on our feelings, sometimes we need to act into our feelings. Instead of acting on our feelings, well, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. About 80% of my life would not get accomplished if I felt like it. If I had to feel like it, right? 80% of your life wouldn't get accomplished if you felt like it. Instead of acting on your feelings, instead, act into your feelings. Act until your feelings catch up. You ever come to a worship service, you don't feel like worshiping, but by the time the set's over, you are worshiping. You just start worshiping. You act into your feelings, not acting on your feelings. That's what Jonah ultimately had to do. I have to stop trusting my feelings and start doing what's right. Most people get into huge trouble because they act on their feelings. Your feelings will so betray you, so betray you. Regardless of how you feel, trust and obey. That's what Jonah did. Second, regardless of how much effort is needed, we must fulfill God's work. Look at the rest of verse 3. Now, Nineveh was a very important city earlier. It was called a great city. Here, again, it's great. This is amplified. It's called an important city. A visit required three days. A visit required three days. It's a lot of work. Jonah did it. Now, we learn from the end of chapter 4 that the city of Nineveh had over 120,000 people in it. And uh, that's in chapter 4, verse 11. And excavations and archaeological digs have found that the city itself had a diameter of 8 miles. So it had a diameter of 8 miles. So that means if it was approximately a circle, 8 miles across. So why did it take three days for a city of 120,000 people and eight miles across? Remember, I think we said last time, or maybe I said it on Sunday, I can't remember, a day's journey was about 20 miles. So why would it take three days to travel eight miles through a city? Well, there's a couple answers. One, I think this is least likely, but it could be that three days is uh, an expression. In other words, it took a long time. And it, it could be, certainly could be, that it wasn't exactly three days, but it, took, it, it was an expression that uh, it was a lengthy visit. The second is that it's most likely that when he said he visited Nineveh, he likely visited greater Nineveh. Rochester. How many people live in the city of Rochester? Eh, about 225,000, 250,000, right? But we don't live in Rochester. We live in Greece. But we sometimes call it Greater Rochester. Pretty much Monroe County is called Greater Rochester, and there are about 725, maybe 750,000 people in Monroe County. And so uh, Rochester itself is only about one-third, maybe even slightly less, of the total population of Greater Rochester. And it may be, we, we do know that the archaeologists have found at least three or four cities that were around the city of Nineveh, or areas, 
and that led to a 60-mile circumference. So that whole region of greater Nineveh was 60 miles in circumference. That's bigger than just the city of Nineveh proper. So maybe Jonah did that. He went through all the subsidies. Maybe he stopped in, in village to village, area to area, region to region. But whatever it was, it did take him three days. I think I would take it more literally, though certainly either one is possible. But Jonah did it. it took lots of work, but he did it. You have to fulfill God's work. And sometimes it'll take you work, hard work, three days of work. I know a lot of us, when, when something's difficult, we just want to get in there. It's like getting a shot. Honestly, to this day, I can't stand getting a shot. I mean, a little needle. I can't even look. And I tighten up, and then, uh, I, you know, then the nurse says, you can't tighten up. You relax. And then, I'll, and then, then right in the middle of a sentence, phew, you know, we, don't, we just want everything to be quick and easy. We don't want to look. We want it to be painless. And not everything in life is called to be that way. The third thing is, regardless of how daunting the challenge, we must communicate God's message. Verse 4. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Okay, this is not some slick presentation of the gospel. He didn't start with their felt needs. He didn't start with their felt needs and move to their real needs. He bottom-lined it. He certainly probably said more, but the essence of his message was really simple. 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. No options, no choice B. It's like you guys are doomed. It's all over. Regardless of how daunting the challenge, you have to communicate God's message. How many of you have ever had an opportunity teed up for you to share your faith in Jesus Christ and you didn't? One time when I interviewed for Harris Semiconductor in Florida, 1986, went for an interview. So I interviewed, went the night before, stayed at a nice hotel, as they always do, got up in the morning, did some morning interviews, tours, then I went to lunch. And I went to lunch with, uh, you know, some of the executive team of Harris, and then did my afternoon interviews. And I'll never forget when, when the food came, I was a newer Christian, I'd been a Christian, let's see, at that time, about two and a half years and uh, I always prayed before my meal. As soon as I knew that's what was um, a way to express appreciation to God, I did it. And I'll never forget, at that lunch, I was like, what do I do now? And I didn't do it. I did not pray. And uh, I felt very convicted afterward. And I felt like God was saying to me, Vince, you don't have to be an idiot about it, but you should thank me in front of anybody. And to this day, I, you know, I don't care who I'm with. I'll, I'll pray before a meal. It just doesn't matter. If that offends you. I, I can't help that. But sometimes we just have to tell people about Christ. Sometimes we just have to be a witness. And Jonah didn't mess around. Now it says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed, will be overturned. 40 is a significant number. You know, there's 3, 7, 12, sometimes 24, not so often. And 40 are very significant numbers in the Bible. Anybody know what 40 is a number of? 40. It's a number of testing. It's of testing. Moses was in the wilderness for 40 days. It was testing to prepare him to be God's man to, lead, man to lead Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was fasting and praying, and then at the end of 40 days was what? 
tested or tempted. By the way, that word is interchangeable quite often in the New Testament. The word for testing, the word for tempting is often the same Greek word in the New Testament. For how long did it take before he was tested? 40 days. 40 is a number of testing. This was Jonah's way of saying, and maybe the Ninevites knew this, 40 is your test. This is your test. You're being tested. Because after 40 days, you're done. By the way, uh, Jonah was in the city for three days, just like Jesus. It's like he was in the great fish for three days, just like Jesus was in the heart of the earth three days. What's three? Three is the number of completeness. Completeness. Jesus completed his tour in the belly of the earth. Jonah completed his time in the great fish. Three, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the complete presentation of the Godhead in three persons. One God, three persons. Completeness. And then he says repent. It means to turn or change your mind. Repent does not mean change your life. If you repent when you become a Christian, how can you change your life? You can't change your life. God changed your life. Repent means, it's a met, in the New Testament, it's metanoia. It means to change your mind, to change your attitude. Not, repent does not mean change your life. Anybody who says that does not know Greek and does not know what they're talking about. Now, a change of mind is the starting point for a change of life. And that's why Jesus says not only repent, but he says what? Show the fruit of repentance, which tells you what? That repentance is not life change. Repentance is attitudinal change about Jesus Christ, about sin. And then life change flows. That's the fruit of repentance. So repentance does not mean to change your life. It means to change your mind, change your thinking, change your attitude, change your perspective. And as a result, a changed life occurs. And that's what he's asking them to do. Imagine doing that to an evil nation. He easily could have been killed. And we also know that that part of his trepidation was, I could die in this journey. Imagine going to Tehran and saying, repent. You think that Ahmadinejad or Ahmadinejad or whatever his name is, you think he wouldn't come after you? He squelched people just trying to stand up for basic freedoms in that country. Very, very difficult. But Jonah did it. He announced to Nineveh. The third difficulty, and this is the rest of the chapter, verses 5 to 10, is Nineveh's difficulty. And their difficulty was acknowledging their sin. How did the Ninevites react? Again, they were a model of acknowledging sin. Unbelievable that I could give you four principles on how to deal with sin from a pagan country and a pagan capital city. But here it is. How to react to our open offenses against God. Number one, when God convicts us, we acknowledge it immediately. Look at verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Instantly. There's no time delay, no nothing. The minute they heard Jonah, they believed God. What does that mean? That means they took God seriously. They declared a fast. What does that mean? They exhibited signs of their spiritual need. That's what fasting is. Fasting is demonstrating that you need God. And if you want to know what fasting is, last spring we did a whole message on fasting, and I won't unpack all that. But fasting is just simply saying, God, I can't do it. I need you. And then the third thing is they put on sackcloth and ashes. It was a common practice. Sackcloth, think of sackcloth as like a burlap bag. Put it on your skin. Is that comfortable? No. Ashes. What, what are ashes all about? Ashes are a sign of death. 
dying to self. You put ashes on yourself. They're stinky. They're messy. So it's uncomfortable, stinky, messy, and it has the symbolism of contrition, sorrow. So they did it all. They believed God. They took him seriously, declared a fast, showed their spiritual need for him. Sackcloth and ashes showed genuine, genuine contrition. Do you acknowledge your sin like this? If you have sin patterns in your life, do you acknowledge them? I don't think you have to get in sackcloth and ashes about every sin. In fact, I don't have any plans to ever do that. But I do think the picture is important. That you're humble enough to say, when God convicts me of sin, I acknowledge it immediately. Yes. You know, David was a big-time sinner. But when Nathan said, you are the man, he didn't go, I don't think I am the man. I think I'm another man. He says, I have sinned against God. So David was a wicked sinner, but to his credit, when confronted, he was a quick repenter. We're all going to sin. We're all going to blow it. Count on it. Schedule it. Here's the only difference between the average person and the strong Christian. How short an account will you have with that sin? That's really the only question. You're going to sin. On this side of heaven, you're going to sin. The only question is, how short of an account will you have? I'm sorry. You're right. Even if the other person did something wrong, you, you just say, you're right. And then save that for later. That's what they did. Second, when sin not only convicts us, but when it confronts us, we abhor it completely. We abhor it, can't stand it completely. Verse 6. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, see, now it, it reached the people. So as Jonah was traveling through the city, eventually the news reached the king of Nineveh. Maybe Jonah gave him the news. Maybe the people gave him the news. He rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. The dust is probably, again, a reference to ashes. And he sat down. So even the king, when confronted, he couldn't stand it. He hated what he had done, at least at some level. By the way, if you want to know the king, I know this will change your life by knowing this king, but it was King Asherdan III. If you want, I'll spell it out for you. King Asherdan, A-S-H-U-R-D-A-N, Asherdan III, just Roman numeral three, and he reigned from 773 to 755 B.C. Okay. We're not 100% sure. We don't know exactly when this happened, but we believe it's King Asherdan that's in, in place. But the question that we learn from King Asherdan is this. Do you hate your sin, even if you struggle with it? Sometimes we think, well, the only way I can hate my sin is if I stop the sin. We all have sins that we struggle with. And the question is not, are you perfect? The question is, do you fight your sin? Do you let God work in your life? You keep falling down. The Proverbs says, though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets up. It's not about sin per se. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not about if you will sin per se, but it's about having a short account with that sin. And that's what we learn from this pagan king. Three, when repentance calls us, we act on it personally. Look at verse 7 and 9. Then the king issued a proclamation in Nineveh. He says, by decree of the king and his nobles... Look at how he amplifies um, and universalizes this message of repentance and contrition. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. 
Do not let them eat or drink. Stop right there. Remember how when we did the message on fasting in the spring, we said there are different fasts? This is the most severe fast. This is an absolute, total abstinence. I have never gone on a total abstinence fast. Usually my fasts are I stay away from food and I'll drink water or juice. This is the most severe kind of fast, an absolute, total abstinence fast. Verse 8. But let, man, but, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Again, sign of contrition. Let everyone call urgently on God. So prayer. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. <laughs> it's the pot calling the kettle black. Because let's give it up. Who knows? May God, God may yet relent with compassion and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. So he calls them to five things, an absolute, total fast, sackcloth to show contrition. He says, call out on God, prayer, give up your evil ways, repentance. Question, why did they repent? I mean, here's this nation. Some guy walks in, some Jewish guy walks through the city, and all of a sudden they repent. Did you ever wonder, wow, can I share a few things? Number one, just before this time, maybe God prepared them. History tells us that there were two plagues that hit Nineveh. The plagues occurred in 765 and 759 B.C. They had two plagues that hit before they converted. Maybe they took these as preambulatory signs of God, preambles, little signs before They also had a solar eclipse that occurred in 763 B.C. These definitely happened. They're recorded. They're facts. So maybe God prepared them with natural, these two natural disasters, these two plagues and the one solar eclipse. The second thing is, remember, Jonah sat in the belly of the great fish for two days. Could have been all 72 hours. Two to, you know, three days, whatever that was, whether 72 hours or not. And some speculate that the gastric juices turned him a funky color. So uh, if you know some old rockers like Edgar Winter, you know, he's like an albino guy. I mean, like if he saw the sun for five minutes, he'd probably, you know, just fry. Jonah may have been so bleach white that when he marched through the city in this incredible appearance that it stunned them. So between the natural disasters and Jonah's appearance... These were all natural things, but, but let me say this. Even though I think those were natural preparatory things, the only reason anybody repents, the Assyrians, the Ninevites, Christians, people in Rochester, you, me, is because of the grace of God. It was a work of grace. I think God used these natural disasters, but it's the grace of God, the grace of God that saves us. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And I, we go, I know, I know. I let God's grace work in me. Ha ha, but God had to send the grace. It's always grace. And then fourth, when God sees serious contrition in us, we are spared from dire consequences. Not only was it grace that helped them convert, it was grace that changed. Look at verse 10. When God saw that they did, uh, saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. There's a whole 
system of debate on this. Um, some people, whenever, this text doesn't say it, but there are texts like this. The people say that the King James says God repented. Other texts say God changed his mind. And lots of people say, well, you know, um, what does that mean? Some people honestly believe God changes his mind. That's impossible. It is absolutely impossible for God to change his mind. I am the Lord, your God, I do not change. God does not change his mind. He cannot change his mind. There's a, a whole heretical view. Actually, a professor in our denomination actually taught it, and thankfully he's not in our denomination anymore, that believes that God can change his mind. Can you imagine this? If God changed his mind, beholden to us, the whole world would be dictated by us. Well, they changed their mind. I got to do this. And the world is not beholden to human decision. So what does it mean when God changed his mind, God repented? It's an anthropomorphism. It's assigning a human attribute to God, even though he really doesn't possess it. To us, he changed his mind, but in the eternity of God, he, had never, he was never going to do that. And uh, that has challenges and tensions in it. But don't you, God does not change. He does not change his mind. It is theologically, biblically impossible. So God didn't change his mind. This was his plan because he knew they would repent and he knew this is what it would take to repent. So he didn't change his mind. He uses a human expression to convey this. So whenever you read that in the Bible, don't think God changed. By the way, Two books later from Jonah in Nahum, we learn they went back to their evil ways. Next time we're going to wrap up Jonah, and then the two times after that we're going to study Nahum because it is a follow-up to how the Ninevites responded later. Their repentance was genuine, it was real, but it didn't last forever. And after next time, the time after that, we'll do a two-week study on the little second little Old Testament book we'll study this year, Nahum, and I hope you'll be here for that. Let me just say a couple things before I get to our application. Number one, look at who we've looked at in this book. Jonah, he wouldn't obey God. Let's look at who else we looked at in this book. The sailors, they obeyed God. The great fish, they obeyed God. The Ninevites, they obeyed God. Can you see what God is doing in this letter? He's doing a study, a foil. The foil is Jonah versus the rest of the people. Everybody keeps obeying God, except Jonah. Now, Jonah obeyed God. Next time, when we wrap up the book, you're going to see Jonah struggled with it. Struggled with the whole thing. And chapter 4 is the most personal section of Jonah. It's going to be an interesting study. And I think we'll learn a lot about ourselves, how we wrestle with God. Remember I said last time, chapter 1 and 2 is a picture of Jonah is a picture of Jesus Christ. Not a perfect picture. No picture is, but a picture of him. Jonah was in the belly of the fish. That's a picture of Jonah's death. He was there for three days and three nights. That's a picture of his burial. He was resurrected. which is uh, He was vomited, which is a picture of the resurrection. Watch this. In chapter 3, what does Jonah do? He preaches the gospel. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ... His followers preach the good news. It's a picture of Jesus Christ's followers. How does Jesus Christ end Matthew after his death, burial, and resurrection? With the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. 
uh, uh, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. It's a picture of the New Testament gospel of grace. When you experience the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, what do you do? You tell somebody the good news. It's a picture of Christ, again, and his inspiring his followers to tell the good news. Let me wrap up with a couple applications, and then we will be right on target for our Q&A time. Let's talk about our difficulty. And here's the question. Will we do what God wants? I'm sure that if you've been thoughtful, part of what you're thinking is, yeah, there's some areas of my life I don't always do it because it's difficult. Let me give you a couple principles. Number one, obeying God isn't always easy, but disobeying him is always harder. It's not always easy to obey God, but disobeying him, always harder. Always. may not be harder instantly, but it's always harder. Always harder. So think about, do you want it to be hard and obey or really hard and disobey? That's our choice every single moment. Second principle, disobeying God is inevitable. But how long we disobey him is optional. Disobeying God is inevitable. We all still wrestle with the sin pull. Whether you call it a sin nature or not, that we can debate all that. And, and that's splitting hairs. We, I, think, I think we have one divine nature, but we have whatever it is, some old tendencies, whether it's a pull or a nature or something. We are going to sin. The question is, how long will we disobey him? That's the optional part. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for tonight. I pray, God, that we would not take lightly sin. I pray that the difficult things you ask us to do, I pray that we would have increasing courage to do them. Thank you for your servant Jonah. He was not perfect, but he did a lot of great things. He did a lot of amazing things. He did some way more amazing things than maybe I'll ever do in my life. And I pray that we wouldn't disrespect him. Instead, I pray that I'd look at my own life and do what Psalm 139 says. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. See if there be any sin in me or anything that would keep me from following you and lead me in the way everlasting. And do the same for all of these people. And we ask this through the, son, through the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, fantastic. If you have to go, totally understand. Have a great night. Love you. Thank you for making time. We've got uh, 11 minutes, I think, to just do a Q&A. So up until 10 after, if you have any questions about anything from in this book or something that came out of the book, thanks, everybody. Have a good night. Yep, good night. And then also, if we can have uh, Pastor Daniel, would you be willing to be the mic guy over here? And then uh, Pastor Frank or somebody, would you be open to that for 10 minutes? Okay, Debbie, did you have a question? Okay, you got a question? I do. Okay, Daniel, if we can come up over here. Well, we, we like to get it on CD, too, so that instead of me repeating all the questions, we try to get it on. Yeah, I'll try my best to answer it. Yeah. Yep. Okay.
Yeah, so the question is about the comeback sports series. Yeah, we're looking for, we're looking for non-Lakeshore people. We're not looking for Lakeshore people because your giving helps. We don't want to undercut your giving to the church. And, you know, we basically, at, at Lakeshore, we ask for two streams of income. Um, our general giving, that's what I think your tithe is for. And then, you know, for 12 years, we had four building campaigns, and then we're finishing up audiovisual, and now we're, we're engaging in making waves. And that's what we believe your offerings are for. We don't want to ask people at Lakeshore. So we're asking sponsors of businesses outside of Lakeshore. We will, every single business will get recognized in our church, and, um, and depending on their participation, we'll have certain sponsorship benefits which are outlined in these cards if you give them to your business. So, yeah, but we're not, we're not, we're not looking to Lakeshore people. That's what your general giving is for. We're looking for businesses. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay. Any questions about Jonah? Yes, Lisa. Oh, I got to get used to the mic thing. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, it was, yes, the, the significance was uh, that by having their animals do it, he was showing the, the thoroughness, the extent of his contrition. Um, if, if, if he had done it, that was contrition, but he realized it was a national sin, and so he got even the animals to show contrition. Uh, look at some of the prayers of Nehemiah and Daniel. I was telling somebody this the other day. If you study the Old Testament, Daniel, Nehemiah. Daniel, who was a very righteous man, Nehemiah was a very righteous man, prayed for the sins of the country, but he lumped himself in with the sins of his country. He lumped himself in as just as much of a sinner as the really wicked sinners. Of course, he's a sinner, but as the real wicked sinners. So when you demonstrate thorough contrition, it has a universal aspect. So I could say, you know, if our, if our church did something sinful. We taught a sinful doctrine or we, did, we made a sinful decision or something like this. I might get our church to do a total church-wide repentance, even though maybe you, didn't, you weren't involved in the decision, you know? You weren't involved in the decision. Maybe it was just our leaders. Maybe it was just me, but it impacted our church. So it's a, it was, a, I think, Lisa, the extent of it showed the depth to which he wanted to show contrition and to please Almighty God. But it is kind of strange, isn't it, to get the animals to fast of course, the animals didn't do it volitionally, but he was willing to say, yeah, I'll even make my animals vulnerable to you because I know, he was in effect saying, I know you're over my animals. So I think it's, that's a great question. But I think it's just to show the extent of his contrition and sorrow. Great question. Uh, yes, Donna. Yes, yes. God's plan for salvation, the, the huge role of sacrifice in that, with Jesus being the ultimate 
Absolutely, yeah. So fundamentally you're saying, is, is there also a picture of, of how salvation works and, and the sacrifice involved in it? Absolutely. It, whenever you share the gospel, there's a huge sacrifice. Uh, less so in America, but other countries, you know, you share the gospel here in America, the most you get is mocked out and ridiculed. In other countries, like that pastor in Iran, I, I think he just got released from prison, but they threatened to kill him just for sharing his faith and for not renouncing Jesus Christ. So, yes, sharing your faith is not easy. It's hard. It's, you expose yourself. You have to engage people. They ask you tough questions. You question your faith. So it's definitely a picture of that. Here's another thing, Donna. It's a picture of the New Testament in this sense. Many people thought, many Jewish leaders thought, God only loved Israel. Many people think, well, God only loved Israel in the Old Testament, and then he opened it up in the New Testament. And it is true, John 1.11, Jesus came to his own, the Israelites, and his own received him not. By and large, as a nation, they rejected him. Some Jews believe Joseph of Arimathea gave up the tomb, as Nicodemus and such. But by and large, he didn't. And then John 1.12, but to as many as received him, he opened it up to the Gentiles. And we know from the New Testament, it, it's to the Jew first, then to the Gentiles, Romans 1 tells us. But... It's a lie, it's a myth to say that God did not show love for Gentiles in the Old Testament. Obadiah, um, Nahum, Jonah, and there are other times. In fact, maybe people don't know this, but there are people that were Gentiles that actually could be assimilated into Judaism. I don't know all the details off the top of my head, but you could actually be a Gentile want to convert to Judaism, and then it took a few generations and a few practices. But I think the message is very clear that salvation is not just for the Jews, that God was going to open it up to the Gentiles. He gave us little glimpses of it in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, he did so. So, it's a, so it, is a, it is a picture of salvation, both in the struggle of it and then in the, in the increasing openness of it to the Gentiles, which was fully manifested in Christ. Another great perceptive question. A lot of good questions tonight. Got about three minutes, so maybe one or two. I don't know why we're all over here. Yeah, good to get this side. All right, Sal? Yeah, Bible never tells us yet. I, I thought that question would come up. doesn't tell us. Um, we know it probably wasn't longer than 40, and we, but, but, we, we know that, I forget, um, I believe you cannot live without water for eight days or something like this. So if this total fast took place, it could not have been more than eight days. This absolute fast, I should say. I don't know about animals. Yeah, I don't, I'm sure like a camel could probably live longer. I'm sure it varies, but I know for human beings, they, a human, I, Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it's eight days. A human being can, if they do not have water in eight days, they will die. Obviously, every human would be a little different. But, uh, so it could not have been the whole time. But, but regardless, the text does not tell us, and there's nothing uh, that would indicate how long it was. Good question. Unfortunately, I can't answer it. One more question. Yeah, I think we're over here. Tell me your first name when you get the mic. Uh, I'm Mike. Mike. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, <are> there... <laughs> okay, Mike. Are there any other ancient texts that 
Yes, that's a great question. There, there is um, archaeological evidence for the existence of Nineveh. I believe there is some type of evidence for the plagues, the two plagues and the solar eclipse, which I talked about. In terms of evidence that this literally happened in Nineveh, that there was a repentance, I can't answer off the top of my head. I have a sense that there is, but I can't say for sure, and I don't want to just say it and sound like I have the answers when I don't. Um, it'd be fun to do a little research. Is there evidence? You know, I know, for instance, there's evidence of Joshua, you know, the city of Jericho. They literally found the city of Jericho. They found the walls caved in just like they suggested. They literally found um, bags of feed that, that had experienced some level of decay, but were still somewhat intact enough to know that it was a very cataclysmic, quick event that brought down Jericho. Whether there is that similar archaeological evidence for um, the city of Nineveh, I don't know. But I have my suspicions at some level there are, but I just can't say for sure, Mike. Great question. So you guys got me on the last two. So, But thank you very much. I appreciate you very much. If you need prayer, um, our elders will be up front and will offer prayer for you. If you want a business to help connect with, well, we can do that up here too. Thank you and have a good night.